Welcome back to another episode of NFT Catcher Podcast. We'd like to remind everybody that nothing on the show is meant as financial advice, and to please do your own research. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Now the subject is NFT. They're known as non-fungible tokens, or NFT. NFTs are floating in popularity. This is a technology that will forever change the way people interact. So it is happening whether you understand it and like it or not. This phenomenon is moving the digital You have now joined Jenny from the blockchain and Michael Keane on the NFT Catcher Podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the NFT Catcher Podcast with me, Jenny from the Blockchain, and my co-host, Michael Keene. Today's interview, we have Claire Salvo, who is a multidisciplinary artist. I am a huge fan of her work. It's super cool, and I can't wait to dive into her journey on being an artist and also how she got into NFTs. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. And Michael, um, how are you doing? How's your Monday? I'm doing great. It's been a nice day. I'm I'm excited for the interview too. You know, Claire, I never necessarily, like Jennifer actually introduced me to your work when she started talking about having you on. And um, it's, it's very cool. You have a great story. I've actually read some articles that were like written about you even three years ago. I read the Voyage LA article. So I do my research and I'm really impressed. I was on your TikTok. So there's a lot to talk about. I'm really excited. Thank you. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Michael definitely uh, went above and <laughs> beyond here and prepared way more than me, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of, I always like to start out interviews with first finding out how our guests got into NFTs and the Web3 space. So, yeah, if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing your journey on how you got into NFTs. Yeah. So, I think the first time I heard about them was probably like April or May of 2021. And one of my neighbors and her long-term boyfriend were going to open up an NFT gallery in Venice. So I'd heard them talking a lot about it. I personally didn't get involved until like the end of August, beginning of September. And my kind of entry point was through a friend of mine who is a painter, an oil painter. And I think as a physical artist, I had a really hard time understanding the technology and kind of like connecting the dots between what I did and how it could apply or like be successful in the Web3 space. And my friend who's the oil painter really made it make sense for me and helped me just understand platforms like OpenSea and how to open a wallet in MetaMask. And that's where I started. And I knew about a week after I minted my first collection that there was a future here for me that I felt like an excitement and momentum. Um, and I felt really inspired and I hadn't felt that way in a while. And I've just not never looked back. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And now you're on. Uh, so are you mainly on super rare? Is that like your preferred platform? Because I saw a lot of your work on super rare. And then you have some stuff on foundation. Yeah, I do. I've been minting using Manifold for probably the last four months. Um, so everything on Foundation I've done via Manifold. And most of the things on Super Rare that I've done recently are also through Manifold. But I don't feel like a strong allegiance to one platform over another. I think they kind of serve different purposes for me. And I feel like they have different collector bases. I like different ones for different reasons. But I guess my favorite tool lately is really Manifold. Mm-hmm. And Manifold's amazing. It's uh, definitely really good. 
That's cool. Yeah. It's made it really easy. And I, even though I've been in this for over a year, I'm really not a tech person or Mm -hmm. (laughs) like there was quite a steep learning curve for me. And if I can do it on Manifold, really anyone can do it. Yeah. And so Manifold, for people that don't know, uh, because a lot of people have been using it, you can do Freemans on it, you can do whatever you want. They allow you to have your own smart contract without coding, I guess. Is that the, the main benefit? Is that how you describe yeah. it? There's all kinds of utility. You can do like an open edition. You could do a limited edition, you know, airdrop things to collectors. There's all kinds of applications now within Manifold with like burn mechanics, like you saw Terrell Jones doing. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty fun. Awesome. We got to have Richard on some point. We've talked about that yeah, before. Yeah, we do have yeah, that, Richard. Yeah. yeah. And I know even we had some some listeners asking about like, how do I you know, mint my NFTs and, and things like that. And obviously you can do it on like OpenSea's interface and stuff, but it's not as, I don't know. It's, um, it's a lot more limited, I think. So yeah, Manifold is, is a good option there. Well, OpenSea's a shared contract, right? Is that the situation? I don't do you know Claire? Know. Yeah. What? I don't know exactly. I know it's, Manifold is preferable because it's your contract. Mm-hmm. Right. You That's what I've heard people say. Right. Yeah, exactly. Ownership yeah. over it. You know, if anything happens right. to OpenSea, like your stuff is still going to exist because it's not tied to OpenSea's contract. Yeah. Cool. And then, okay. So I, I also want to get into your art, which I don't know when it first came across my feed, but I think it was, I think the first thing I saw from you was like one of your ballpoint pen works, which I didn't realize. I was like, wow, that's a really cool, like, painting or whatever like I didn't really think about what it was and then when I found out oh you literally just use a single ballpoint pen and you're just doing all these tiny little dots and just oh my gosh it's insane like how detailed everything is and literally just using a pen how did you learn how to do that like I've never seen anybody doing that before uh was that something that you just self-taught or like learned in school like how did you Yeah, Yeah, I don't have any formal art education or any kind of pedigree, really. I took some like art classes outside of high school, growing up at the local art museum and stuff. Um, I didn't study in college. I really just, I had very supportive and encouraging parents who, you know, encouraged me to like try different things and put me in some of those classes. And, but I'm self-taught. I had some amazing art teachers. I obviously can't take all the credit here. I had like really incredible art teachers in elementary, middle and high school. Um, In terms of the ballpoint, it's actually the technique is similar to what I would do with a graphite pencil. So I'm really just drawing for the ink dots. It's called stippling. And I use a different pen for those. And I haven't done that in a long time just because it's incredibly tedious, even more tedious than just like a regular ballpoint drawing, if you can believe it. And the ballpoint started in I think around October of 2020 and I just was inspired by election materials and that like bright cobalt blue and had seen some other artists use Bic pens and thought it was such a striking color and it photographed so well and like translated really well digitally. So I started doing portraits with it. And after a couple, I kind of got the hang of it and figured out how to refine the technique and that by working a little bit bigger, it made a huge difference in terms of how hyper hyper realistically I could uh, render something because there's just a lot more room for detail when you go bigger. And 
yeah, so it just kept doing portraits, um, did a bunch of political portraits, turned them into a deck of cards, and then kind of expanded into like objects. And I don't know which was the one you saw. I had a, um, maybe it was the John Lewis one that I did. That was um, like a point. Yeah, I think your, uh, uh, your pinned tweet right now on like the one on the right side, I think that was the first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my friend, that's a drawing of my friend Dan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I saw the cards too. If you guys go to clairesalvo.com or salvo, sorry, said it wrong. But um, if you go to her website, you can see like a bunch of her work that she's put on there. And she has these these cool prints and like the cards. I'm like, those cards are dope. I'm like, I need to get some of those cards. But yeah, and then even your your oil paintings like are insane. And that was the word, hyper-realistic. That's like what I was like thinking, like looking for. I'm like hyper realistic. It's like that. Oh my gosh, that's something that I I really like the style of hyper uh, realistic art. And your oil paintings are amazing. You'll just do like, for example, an M and M's package that's been opened up, and you'll just paint it, and it'll literally look exactly like the the thing of like an M and M package on the floor, like with the shadows and everything. And what kind of inspired that theme to to start? Uh, the trash thing was really random. I was on a walk one afternoon and I saw a McDonald's French fry wrapper or like box, a smushed box on the pavement. And the way the sun was hitting it, it was just like the most beautiful, bright shade of red against this gray pavement. And I, I literally stopped in my tracks because I was so taken aback by the color and the contrast. And I took a photo of it. And I just came back and painted it and it did. People just really responded to it. Um, and I'd seen people like Noah Verrier, who does the like beautiful kind of still lives of Cheetos packages and, and McDonald's whole meals and Big Macs and stuff. And I loved his paintings and I wanted to do something a little bit different. And I felt felt like photographing trash was like a really fun, organic way to turn something really ordinary into something really beautiful without it feeling contrived or staged yeah it definitely does not feel staged definitely is just like mm -hmm. it's just there <laughs> it looks so cool yeah there's no shortage of trash in la so <laughs> <laughs> that's true you you probably see things all the time you're like oh i would love you know that one <laughs> i i really do like i'm the weirdo yeah. it's just right getting out of my car, walking into the store and like stopping and squatting and taking a picture of trash. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, what's that lady doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. You do all kinds of different art then. Cause uh, like I said, I was on your TikTok, and that's nothing, but you take dollar bills and you like paint a little portrait over George Washington's head. Right. That's the, uh, yeah. that's the yeah. theme. That's so the stick. Yeah, that's the stick, but it's done really well. You have like a couple hundred thousand followers, 6.5 million likes, you know, really, really cool videos. And like you do like pop culture characters and they're really good videos. It's in time lapse. So it's like ding, ding, ding. I showed my kids yeah. the Yoda. I was showing my kids the Yoda one before bed tonight. And they thought it was like the coolest thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah those, sure. were, those started pretty randomly. And the first one I ever did went really viral. So I thought, well, I guess there's something here and people like watching it. So I just kept doing it. And yeah. I think like for TikTok specifically, having a really consistent aesthetic is really helpful. And I think I take a lot of pride in the fact that I've never 
had to show my face or speak on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I've grown this kind of following and just just doing exactly one thing. Like my grid is so uniform. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fun because it's topical, you know, like you said, it's just kind of whoever's like in the news or who people are talking about. Um, like I did Avatar today because I know the movie, the second one just came out. And yep. um yeah, it's just fun. Just like a little kind of exercise for me. How's it impacted your career, like your art career, growing on TikTok so much? Because Gary Vee, we talk about Gary Vee a lot, and he tells everyone, if they're an artist, get on TikTok. You know, get on TikTok, get on TikTok. How has it affected your career? It's, I think the answer might surprise people. It's by, by far my biggest platform. Um, yep. I am part of the Creator Fund, which is like a really small way to monetize, and you're probably getting like fractions of a penny per stream. So mm-hmm. maybe in two years, I've earned like $2,000. I mean, it's really nothing. And I've had videos go crazy viral. So that just speaks to how how little that fund yeah, pays. Um, sure. I think the real opportunity is partnering with brands and stuff. But because of the videos I do, it it's hard to find an organic fit. Like I get emails from mar- marketing agencies or influencer agencies asking if I want to participate in campaigns, but what they're really looking for is like me to hold up the product, which would just not fit with what Mm -hmm. I do. Um, So I haven't, I've done actually um, the one bill that I got paid to do surrounding an album release um, was for the actor. Is it Leslie who he passed away? I think last month, Leslie, Leslie Nielsen. No, no, no. I don't no, remember that. I was like, he uh, passed away a naked guy? What? <laughs> hey, you. Yeah. you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> Leslie Jordan. Um, okay. Yeah. And so his team had come to me because he had an album coming out with Dolly Parton and they wanted to do something, uh, I guess, partner with a with a creator and do something. But other than that, the the only other opportunity to come of it, and this is... This still blows my mind that this happened, but I had J.J. Abrams, the director, reach out to me, just like cold reach out and ask if I would do a bill for his friend Guillermo del Toro. What? So I did a bill for Guillermo and then Steven Spielberg saw that bill and wanted one of his own. So I did one for Spielberg. No Um, way. And I asked J.J. how he found me and he said TikTok. So you really don't know who's watching. Or what it could lead to. Yeah. Yep. Yep. TikTok right now is producing like the most famous people. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, like it really, I mean, I've seen it a lot. Like a lot of the podcasts are now like bringing on the TikTok famous people. Like there's a lady that does beekeeping and that's all she does. And she does it on TikTok. And she was on Joe Rogan last week. You know, like the people are like, I know it's pretty crazy. By the way, there's probably people steaming in our audience. Leslie Nielsen passed away November 2010. Just to clarify the record, I missed that one. I'm a huge fan of his movies. Yeah, no, Naked Gun is classic. Classic. He was born in 26, so he would have been, he would have been 90, uh, 96 right now. Mm. Yep, good old Leslie Nielsen. So back to uh so back to your work. So you you were doing traditional art and you moved into NFTs and started to do well. You don't seem to release a ton of stuff, right? I found a couple collections on OpenSea and nobody's even selling them. You have a collection of the dollar bills, but nobody's nobody's selling them. Yeah. Right? So the first collection I ever minted was a bunch of bills I'd painted and then 
I've added to that as I've done a lot of bill commissions and people I'll pair the NFT with the physical. So I'll usually upload mm. the NFT to that collection just so they're kind of all in one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mint a ton of work because my work takes a ton of time. Sure. So, and in addition to just the process of creating the piece, I take it to a scanner um, and have it scanned. And then I have to wait for that to come back to me. And it's, it's just, there are so many parts of the process turning a physical piece into a really, really high quality digital image. So it it definitely takes time. And then when something sells, I usually pair, if not the original with it, which I'll have framed and then shipped to someone, um, like a one-of-one print that I've hand embellished mm-hmm. or something. I love that. That's cool. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, and we were talking about, you, you mentioned pencils and and. Jennifer was talking about how you do things with the dots. I want to point out an artist to you that I love on TikTok. Do you know uh, Dylan Eakin, the guy that does the graphite and pen- he does like charcoal? He does these amazing portraits. They're photorealistic no. with just okay. charcoal. You need to look this guy up. Dylan, E-A-K-I-N. Everyone I've should check him like- out. He, he's like, I've thought about like reaching out to him because he's like, I mean, he's got a great following on TikTok, but he's not doing too much. He's got... 2,900 people following him on Twitter. Like this guy is brilliant. He makes these, they take him 120 hours and things like that. They're like gigantic and spectacular. They look like photos with beads of water. I don't know. I went off topic a little bit, but he came up in my head. Michael's like super into TikTok, you know. (laughs) I like TikTok. I like TikTok. (laughs) How long, first of all, how long does the, do the oil paintings on the dollars take, which I feel like you do those pretty quick. Like those seem like they don't take that much time, right? Or- yeah, those those take anywhere from maybe like two to four hours, depending on the subject. Okay. Um, He's in fast motion, so I'm like, oh, this looks like it takes 10 minutes. Yeah, doodle it up real quick. I, I don't know. No, it's hours. I'm like, okay. And I do it oh, in no. one sitting. So it's pretty oh, wow. intense yeah, and very wow. focused. And like, wow. I usually can't do more than two in a day because I'm just spent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then what about something like one of your oil paintings of, you know, um, a couple pieces of trash? Like, how long is that process? You know, I mean, obviously that probably takes days. Like how many hours a day are you spending on it? Um, what does that look like? Yeah. So the the little ones like the McDonald's wrapper and the M&M's wrapper, those took maybe two or three hours. Like I, those I paint pretty fast. And oh, if you wow. zoom in, they're pretty, they're pretty rough. Like I don't spend a lot of time refining. I just kind of go in and try to get the shapes down and it's definitely not perfect. And that's not, that wasn't my aim when I first started them. I just wanted it to be like kind of a fast exercise in um, color and shape and I'm working on a bigger piece now with like, I just painted a box of camel cigarettes and a Slim Jim and an oldie. And those I'm like really going in and refining the details and taking my time. And that has been, I've been working on that for maybe a week and a half. And I've had to let things dry so I can go in and add details on top and oil takes a while to dry. So that adds to the time. But yeah, I would say for something like medium size, that's really realistic with a lot of detail, like one to two full solid days of work. Wow. And that is quicker than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Painting is faster than drawing for me. Really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That is interesting. And then what about the 
like the ballpoint pen works. Like how long is that? Like maybe the one that we were talking about, the example of um, your friend Daniel that you yeah. drew. That was like three years in the making, but oh I'd gosh. say I started it last year. I spent maybe three weeks on it, like early 2021 before NFTs, before I got into NFTs. And I got distracted with another project or another idea. And I just like put it away in a drawer. And then earlier this year, I was like, I'm going to finish this this year. This is the year it's happening. And by the time I actually sat down to to really work on it, it was probably another three or four months from that point. So it took a long, long time. Those pieces take age anywhere from like probably two weeks to two or three months. So are you like taking a photo and kind of copying the photo or how are you? Is it just from memory? Oh, no, it's it's from a photo. I'd say I I can't speak for all artists who work in hyper realism, but I suspect 98% of us work from a photo or from life. Like there's something in front of us that we're looking at. Um, unless somebody has an insane memory. I, I personally don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone has some type of, right. That yeah. obviously, that makes the most sense. Wow, okay. Oh, that's so interesting, oh, man. And so how long have you been an artist? Because I know you said you didn't go to school, but you're like self-taught. Was it after high school? I guess you said you did some art throughout school as well. But, and when did it become like a serious thing where you're like, okay, I'm full-time artist. Yeah. So I I grew up drawing, painting, kind of exploring the arts. And then when I went to college, I decided to major in communications. And just like, I think I took one art class in my four years of college because I just didn't have room in my schedule for many electives if I was going to graduate on time. And when I graduated college, I ended up going into music and I worked in music management. And then I quit to DJ and produce. And I did that for five years. And I had a DJ partner and like a creative partner. And we split up when I was 26. And at that point, I was like kind of having a quarter life crisis trying to figure out what to do next and realized that art was the thing I had done my entire life leading up to music. And it was the thing that felt truest to me and the thing that I felt that I was best at. And at that point, I hadn't drawn in so long. And I look back now and the things I did then, and I'm like, this looks so amateur. It's just amazing, like how much with some, with an investment of like time and consistency, how quickly you can improve. So I decided to pivot from music to art in 2016. And I would say committed to doing art full time in maybe like late 2017. I had a here and there I've had like contract jobs doing PR, social media, things like that, but I haven't had a job like that in a few years. It's been just art. That's amazing. That's like the artist's dream being full time. It's like, I feel like, I mean, maybe before NFTs, like it was super hard to be a full time artist. And I mean, everyone always talks about that anyway. When they get into NFTs, they're like, this is the first time that I actually feel like I'm able to get paid and do this full time. Like it's so hard to be an artist full time. Like it's kind of like being an actor, like you have to have like a side hustle until you make it. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's great that you were, you're ready, even an established artist, um, you know, coming into NFTs. And I think we'll, you know, we've seen a lot of that too, of people being successful through NFTs, successful before NFTs, 
and and their journey um, in that way. Yeah, it was it was very much like a struggle before NFTs. Like my my life now is materially different than it was before NFTs, in that I'm able to have a studio and like dedicated art space, and um, I feel like a lot of stress and pressure has been lifted, and I can spend a lot more time doing the things I do, making the art I actually want to make. And before this, I was doing a lot more commission work out of necessity. Um, and it was, it was just like a constant struggle. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, success in that, like, it's all I was doing, but it was, it was very different than it is now. On that note, do you actually have any advice for aspiring artists who look to make a career, you know, out of art, out of their craft? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm still very much in the like discovery phase of my practice where I'm throwing a bunch of things at the wall and seeing what I like and what sticks. And like, hopefully in the future, I'll be able to combine or like all of these things will kind of come together as like one recognizable style. And so I guess my first piece of advice would be to like, keep trying different things, Um, discovering a style or an aesthetic. I think in the NFT space, I feel a little bit jaded or like the expectation is unrealistic. Like a lot of these artists have such a distinguished aesthetic and in reality that can take a really, really long time to develop and find. Um, So I would say, try a lot of things, find out what you like, find out how you can combine different media in a way that's unique to you or like, you know, just find your niche. Um, And I would also say, I mean, when my when I have friends who've quit jobs they hate to pursue something they love, I'm always like in the front row with a sign cheering them on. And it can be really scary to make that choice. But I think if you have uh, like the support system around you of friends and family and you have, you know, the means or you think you can like just get by, I would encourage you to take the leap because I think, um, I mean, I personally have had experiences in my life that really woke me up to wanting to live now and pursue what I want and not, not live for some like unpromised future 40 years in advance. So I would really just encourage people to like spend the time now while they can doing um, the thing they want to do. Cause I really think that's just the point is to like, yeah, (laughs) find the thing that makes you happy and figure out a way to monetize it. Yeah. Jump without a parachute and you'll figure it out along the way. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things that I live by, like just jump without a parachute. I also think, um, I mean, every artist is different. And I think some artists have an absolute commitment to their practice and not taking on commissions because they feel like it would maybe degrade their integrity as an artist or, you know, not working with brands or or things like that because it would like dilute their personal brand, whatever their hangup is about it. But I... I've never closed myself off to that stuff. I mean, I know it's not for everyone, um, but I think there's really no shame in like commercial art. And if an opportunity comes your way, I would say encourage people to take it and see where it leads them. And you just don't know, you know, what what one door is going to lead to. That's good advice. Totally. And I think um, a lot of creatives feel like that as well and resonate with that of like, I think a lot of people that are very creative, they like are risk takers and also feel like 
They want to keep uh, their integrity of like, oh, I want to do my things my way and I don't want to have to conform to how someone else wants me to do stuff. And so, yeah, and I also totally relate to that of like not wanting to dilute the brand, but also like, hey, you never know where opportunities will take you. And, you know, you got to you have to say yes sometimes and, you know, try out different things. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's like I would rather... I would rather have a paid art opportunity that maybe is not directly in line with my aesthetic or what I hope to be doing than feel like I'm in a position where I have to take on, you know, part or full-time work. That's me personally. Not, Mm -hmm. not everyone obviously feels that way. Some people I think would don't mind that division of like, this is what I do during the day and it pays my bills. And then I come home and I make art just for me. And I'm completely true to myself and I'm making things that feel like an expression of my life experience. And I'm not, I don't have to succumb to commissions because I don't rely on this to pay my bills. So to each their own. But um, for me personally, I, I've tried to just stay kind of in this like artistic lane. Cause I know that when I've had other jobs, I found it to be just I'm just not, (laughs) I'm not happy when I have to report to someone and I would much rather just work for myself and take on the commissions or jobs that I have to take on um, if it means the autonomy to live as an artist. Totally. Also, earlier you said that you, you'll, so when somebody buys the NFT, like you'll often like ship out the physical version to them. And I know I saw the, the dollar bills, you do that as well, uh, which is super cool. And they're only 0.5 each. I'm like, that seems pretty good. You get the physical and the NFT. Like what if somebody doesn't, I guess, you know, there's a lot of anonymous people in the space. If they're like, oh, I don't want to give you my address. Like, what do you do with the art that's not claimed physically? Yeah, I hang on to it. Um, okay. And and I, I've definitely had experiences like that. I think where people are just not that interested in the physical and are just excited to have the digital piece. And that's totally fine. And I completely understand that you know, mailing something to someone means like them said, there's like a level of trust there. And, you know, in exchange, I'm going to be mailing something from my home. And so there's, there is definitely like a a level of trust required. Um, I have many times sent things to people's Twitter handles or their aliases. (laughs) So I have, Mm -hmm. I'll have their address without knowing their actual name. So maybe, you know, they feel like there's some level of protection there where they're not fully doxing themselves. But I hang on to everything. I have a binder for the bills. I have like portfolios for art and I have a closet where I store bigger pieces. Mm. Wow. You must have a lot of art at your, is it in like your studio or like it, you just like store it all like in your home? I'll show you. Uh, she's going to show us. <laughs> oh, shoot. Sorry, sorry, listeners. You are not yeah. able to see this. <laughs> So I have a flat file cabinet, which is my pride wow. and joy. Yeah, yeah. And I keep a lot of stuff there. I have like this closet where I keep some things stacked. I have some paintings stacked on the side of this flat file. I have like literally paintings on top of the flat, just art everywhere, really like clipped to my walls. Um, and before I had this studio, I was just keeping things in a portfolio and kind of tetrising in tetrising them um into my little painting desk in the kitchen and it was really a challenge making everything fit and I think I was maybe more incentivized to try to sell stuff because I literally didn't have the space to keep it (laughs) oh my gosh that makes a ton of sense yeah like um I need to free up some space here please buy this physical (laughs) 
Uh, wow, that's that's amazing. Oh, man, I'm trying to think. Like, I have a t- I have a topic if uh, if we have a sec. Yeah, go for a- it. So AI art. How do you think uh, about the role of AI technology and art? Do you see it as a tool to be embraced or a potential threat to traditional forms of artistic expression? And I read that because that question came from ChatGPT. <laughs> I was like, why are you reading a question? Yeah, <laughs> Chat GPT wrote that, but uh so how do you I love like, I'm all about AI. I think it's there's no stopping it, like I say, so it's just I love it. Yeah. I think it's so much fun. I'm not an artist, so I can I can play with mid journey a little bit and, and stable diffusion and all that. So what is your thought? Um, I mean, in some ways, I think it's like adapt or die, right? Like get on board or good luck. Um, But I, I've like dabbled with Dolly a little bit. Um, I have friends who use it. I think I personally don't feel threatened by it at all. And maybe I'm going to be eating my words in 20 years. I guess time will tell. But I think there will always be people who appreciate physical art. And you could generate something using AI and print it. And it's just not going to be the same as like a hand painted portrait. I don't think it will really ever be the same, quite frankly, especially knowing the artist behind it, the artist's story, their experience, the time and labor and like sweat equity that went into that piece. Like that just can't be replicated um, in the same way. I think the bit of it that's problematic for me and I've seen this come up a few times lately is when artists work is directly referenced or used to generate responses and they're not, they they don't consent, you know, they're not notified, they're not compensated, like none of that, that's pretty problematic. Um, I think in terms of AI artists, I would love to understand more of the process. I think I would appreciate AI art a lot more when people are turning it around and selling it, not just, you know, someone generating something in mid journey just to like, see what it comes out as, but there is like a crop of AI artists who are selling work on super rare and foundation. And I love seeing people's process. So I would just love to know. And I know that there's like, uh, maybe that's completely proprietary and they will never share their process, but beyond a prompt, I would just love to know, what's going into the art. I think that would really give me like a much greater appreciation for it personally. I feel the same way about physical art and digital art. I just love seeing people's process and like understanding how a piece was made. That's just Mm -hmm. my curious brain. I think some artists don't like sharing that because they feel like it's private or like somebody, maybe they feel like somebody's going to copy it. But I I'm like always on a quest to figure out how things are made. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Like I could see people putting out like, you know, it took me a hundred different prompt commands to get the art to where I want it to be. Cause you could like, you know, change this, change that, change this, change that and keep updating it. That would be interesting to see how people do it, how long it takes. Do you know your namesake, uh, Claire Silver? Are you familiar? Oh yeah. Actually. Yeah. 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 We met met, uh, this year in Miami. And I was yeah. like, she tapped me on the shoulder and I was sitting next to Vinny Hager and he was like, Claire, yeah. this is Claire Silver. And I was like, what? oh, yeah. Nice, um, nice, nice. Yeah, it was a moment. <laughs> cool, that's funny. Yeah, yeah she does some good so, stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would love to know more about her process. She's so smart and articulate. 
um, yep. just in, you know, the things she says on Twitter. And that would, that was definitely apparent in person too. Um, cool. but yeah, I would, I would love to know more about her process. Nice. That's cool that you met her. Cause I think she's like, isn't she like completely anonymous basically, unless Very I, anonymous. I guess, unless you know her. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm like, what you saw her. That's interesting. Does she have pink hair? <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> she didn't swear uh, me to secrecy, but out of respect, blink, I... t- blink twice. <laughs> if, uh... Twice if her hair is pink. <laughs> yeah, short and pink hair. No, but yeah, I think um, you know, I don't. I mean, I personally, I doubt that she does look like how she portrays herself online because I feel like that's like you kind of come up with a persona. I don't know. That's what I envision. I just imagine that she's come up with this persona of like, this is my online identity and this is how like I look online and I like, I want others to perceive me, which I think is really cool. And, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's like, sometimes you like the mystery of not knowing what someone looks like or like, you know, and you'll see those people like doxing and you're like, oh, I kind of like wish that I didn't know what they look like. Like I am honestly sometimes like that. Cause I'm like, I don't know. It's just, you just, it's just different when you think of someone as like a JPEG or someone that just looks like yeah. a certain Or guy. sometimes you just have like a full picture idea of someone based on yeah. the voice that they speak with on Twitter or on another platform. And then when you see the picture, when they dox themselves, there's just like such cognitive dissonance between what you had imagined versus reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I I definitely never wanted to be anonymous for that reason. I'm like, I don't want people to think I'm a certain way. And then they were like disappointed. I'm just going to come out and be like, this is me so that people know. And, you know, it's not like, what? That's what you look like? Okay. Uh, Michael, any more questions? Um, the last question I have, I typically like to let um, our guests talk about any other artists or any projects that they really like that they'd like people to check out or anything you think is really cool coming up or already dropped, whatever it is. I recently became part of uh, the me collective and we do group drops once a month and Terrell is in it. And so is um, Roswell's in it. Omente Hovem. Is that how you say it? O-M-E-T-O-M-E-N-T-E-J-O-V-E-M. He's a Brazilian artist, works a lot with like oranges and blue this is the me collective m e yeah make uh m i making M-I, it okay oh am i cool yeah um and that's been really fun we have a like a group chat on twitter and we always share what we're working on and you see like works in progress before you know they're shared who else i follow a ton of this is like outside of web3 but i follow a ton of artists on instagram who i love i'm going into my archive right now so i can rattle off some names I want to make sure we can find it too. I'm having a bit of a hard time finding it on uh, Twitter. The making it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Their Twitter handle is making it 24 seven. Got it. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. And a couple of the artists that I've been loving lately on Instagram would be, there's an artist called Dredski. It's uh D R E D S K E 88. He's a painter. And he does figurative work. He also, he just has this amazing style that's kind of a blend between like street art and realism. And he uses like really bright, bold colors and his work is beautiful. Let's see. F. Dot is a 
is a good friend of mine. I know F dot. I know F dot. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. We, act, yeah. we were friends for a while online and we met for the first time at the dinner in Miami where I met Claire oh, and wow. um, I love his work. He's got such a recognizable aesthetic and he's always kind of trying new things in terms of like releases and mechanics. And he also is a predominantly physical artist. So I love watching the things he does, like drawing on skate decks and he does mural work and mm -hmm. things that I like aspire to do one day. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually that that leads me to my last question, which is what is in store in the future for you, Claire? What do you what do you think about when you're thinking about like, you know, maybe something new that you're venturing off to or just things that you want to perfect? Yeah, what are some of those artist goals that you have? Great question. Um, I've always wanted to take an oil painting class because I'm I think oh, what? <laughs> you can get pretty far being self-taught in drawing but with oil painting there's so many different mediums and techniques um and things that i just don't know there's so much i don't know about oil painting and i think i know how to do what i do but i don't know how to do anything else and mm. i see a lot of oil paintings that i love and i don't understand how they achieved that specific like texture or you know color or look or effect or something and so I would love to take a formal oil painting class and just learn properly how to do it because sometimes I'll have an idea in my head and I don't quite know how to execute it in the way that I want and I think that would really help with that yeah I've been on quite a painting kick and I think the art that I'm going to make in the next couple of months is probably going to continue to play off nostalgia and trash and I'm just like really having fun going down that rabbit hole I, things tend to come to me, you know, kind of suddenly, and then I'll just like go off on that tangent. So sometimes it's hard to say what I'm going to be focusing on a year from now, or like the general direction I see my work going, I try to just kind of go as the creative uh, energy takes me. So we'll see. Well, that's great. That's beautiful. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this was such a pleasure having you on the show. And hopefully everyone... Oh, yeah, we got to shout out your Twitter. If you guys don't follow her, you definitely should be. It's Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E underscore S-A-L-V-O. And we'll link it as well in the show notes. But yeah, there we go. And then all her links to everything is, is within that. So... But yeah, thank you so much, Claire, um, for coming on the show. And hopefully everybody listening enjoyed this episode. And we will catch you in the next one. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to the NFT Catcher Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the exciting world of NFTs. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really love what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite platform. If you want to stay up to date with the latest news and insights from the NFT space, be sure to follow us on all the socials at NFT Catcher Pod. You can follow Jennifer at Jennifer underscore pseudo and Michael at NF Ticket. I'm your producer, Andy, and I'm at AJC254. Our theme songs by It's Just Los. We always appreciate your feedback and support, which helps us reach more people and bring you informative and engaging content about NFTs. We look forward to bringing you more great NFT content in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Peace.